If you go back to the statements that he put out and that the team put out from October 2021 when we first reached out um, about the investigative story that we were preparing to publish, and then when we published it in November, then their statements last week um, when the NBA announced its findings and investigation, and even some of the statements that he released today, there was a strong tone of defiance. And talking to people in and around the organization, that tone was felt. There was a feeling that no matter what the NBA, after their their announcement, that he would not relent. He would not give up the reins of the organization. But certainly we saw more players speak out. LeBron, Chris Paul, Draymond Green, the sponsor PayPal, threatened to pull out. So the, the temperature was rising quite a bit. And certainly some I talked to wondered whether it would become, ten, whether it would be tenable for him to hold on. But the word I come back to is shock. Baxter Holmes, uh, who uh, was at the forefront of all of this activity with the uh, Phoenix Suns, wrote the article last November that he'd worked on for a couple of years. Uh, and a lot of what he reported in November was verified and published in the report, the 43-page report that led to the suspension of Robert Sarver. Oh, yeah. But there's Baxter Holmes saying he's shocked that, that Robert Sarver sold at this point. That's certainly the uh, – or is selling – um, that's the reaction I had yesterday. Um, why now? Um, again, I, I think it uh, is the right decision for Robert Sarver. Yeah. I think it's the right decision for the fan base and the organization. Need to move forward from this. But there's still a ton of questions out there. Um, you know, there, there seems to be some, I don't even want to say conflicting reports, but just a gray area. We know Robert Sarver is the largest stakeholder. Uh, Baxter Holmes in a tweet yesterday did suggest that even though he only owns 35 to 40 percent of the team, he does have the authority to sell uh, the entire organization. Uh, Gambo had some tweets that say, I'm not sure if that's the case. Um, I have a question too, Bick, on, you know, will minority owners try to, you know, come up with the funds to just buy out Robert Sarver and, and let him ride off into the sunset, if that's what you want to call mm-hmm. it. Um, there's a question too. Is this. Is this a you know a, a, a group deal? Uh, meaning, are the Suns and Mercury lumped together, or could the Mercury be sold to a different owner outside of NBA ownership? Which I think would be a concern for for, for that team and organization. So there's still, I mean, we're in the infancy of this, obviously, with that story right. breaking less than 24 hours ago. But there's a lot of uncertainty right now uh, on, yeah. on all of it. Yeah, no. Listen, there seems to be a consensus that there's going to be no shortage of people who are interested for a lot of different reasons. The Suns are looked at as a in the financial world as a very attractive asset for a lot of different reasons. The NBA is they are truly a global sport. Their their projections and their future is incredibly bright. So yeah, so there's going to be there's going to be a lot of heavy hitters involved in this, and this price tag is going to be it's going to be quite something. People have looked at Bob Iger and said Bob Iger and Chris Paul have got a very very good relationship. They they're in some business ventures mm-hmm. together, and and there are a lot of people like yeah, well that makes sense. Bob Iger. ESPN, ESPN, Disney, or Bob Iger, Disney, Disney, ESPN, ESPN investigation, Robert Sarver, bye-bye. There's a lot of people connecting a lot of dots. Whether or not they deserve to be connected, uh, that is indeed the case. Uh, So I I do think that uh, my greatest hope, because we've lived this, I've lived this, you never know what you're going to get in your next owner. You never know. It's the devil you know and the one you don't. 
And so I, I hope, I hope, and I think the league will be very, very careful in the vetting process. And and I, I do hope that the next owner here can bring a level of financial financial largesse yes. that we do not well, have in the valley. Uh, somebody, somebody to 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 bring one of our teams to the level of a New York. Yankees, uh, an L.A. Rams, uh, somebody with that kind of money who wants to win that badly, who can end this this cycle of frugality that defines all of our franchises. Well, I mean, Bob Iger would need to be part of a group. Well, he would. He's not, in a, he he's would. not a multi. Yeah, right. Yeah, he, he, I mean, he's a multi, multi-millionaire, multi but he's not. It's like $640 million. Yeah. He'd be the figurehead of a group a, with, right. with experience of running a large organization. Right. That's but, right. Uh, Ramona Shelburne from ESPN. I was on NBA Today yesterday, and she threw out some some potential names. Robert Sarver is going to sell this team, and this is a really important point. He gets to decide who he sells it to. Mm-hmm. So anybody you hear as a potential owner, there's going to be a lot of interest in this team. Could be three billion dollars, four billion dollar valuation. Um, it, he gets to decide who he sells to, just like Shelly Sterling decided to sell to Steve Ballmer. There were a lot of other candidates, right. but somebody. Um, there's been a few names that you'll hear: Jeff Bezos, the owner, of, the CEO of Amazon; um, Robert Iger, former CEO of Disney. Disney, uh, the uh, Lorraine Jobs, who's a minority owner of the Washington Wizards as well, uh, and Larry Ellison. These are these are big names that are out there. There's going to be a lot more names that you'll hear over the coming days and months. Yeah. But my expectation is it will be an outside owner who comes in to buy the Suns, and it will take a couple of months at least. I mean, she's that's, not that's, lying. That's, that's not entirely true. The the board of governors has to approve. Yes. Ever. So I mean, yes. it, it's you can. It, this isn't just Robert Sarver's decision. No. The NBA it, can't impede it, but they have the right to approve it. And the way that I gauge things right now with. With the Suns are not in financial difficulty. They've got a very admirable uh, arena situation and practice facility uh, situation. So anybody who you know throws their hat into the ring with any designs of moving this franchise out of town, they'll be they'll be you know eliminated immediately. This is not. There's no distress on those fronts, and that's this is not more- buying the Coyotes. Yeah, it's not yeah. Buy, it's not buying the the, the Seattle SuperSonics uh, who couldn't get an arena deal done for forever. Um, but man, you want to talk about some names? I don't know how legitimate those names are. Larry Ellison has mm-hmm. heavyweight, sick money. Mm-hmm. Jeff Bezos does he have any, Does he have any interest in owning a? That's a the thing I mean, is I, I've right. never heard his name really come up. Neither have I. In like, the past. There's been opportunities to buy other uh, organizations. They don't pop up very often, but. He could buy any of them. With he could, he could literally buy the entire league. He could <laughs> afford it at least. But if the, if that's the the high rent district of mm-hmm. potential owners that we're talking about, uh-huh. what you just outlined, Bick, is a possibility. That makes you know that type of ownership. Uh, and look at the situation in in you know Golden State with their ownership. They've got you know the Clippers. They've got. No financial worries whatsoever. They'll be competitive forever. Right. That basically would. That's right. Would would be that's the case what, with the Suns. That's what I want for this basketball team. Somebody like that. Somebody who's with, with that kind of money who who is going to want to win. Who is not going to look to the Suns to make a profit. I look at Larry Ellison, who founded uh, Oracle. His net worth is listed at ninety six billion. It's insanity. It's insanity. <laughs> Jeff Bezos got, got that on him. So if you think that's a lot of, but the 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 trend in the newer owner, I'd say over the probably since Mark Cuban was like the first one. Mm-hmm. It's the lifelong fan 
that has the money and wants to be a part of the team and win the team. Steve Ballmer is another example of that. Yeah. That's the yeah. owner. You want the owner that has all the money in the world, but also wants to win more than anything. Doesn't look at it like it as just an investment, like mm-hmm. you said. Yeah. No, that he can look at it as an investment. Just don't look to profit year to year to year. That, that's that to me is the bottom line. Don't look at it as say, okay, listen, I need twenty eight million dollars profit from this team every year, and then everything funnels down off of that. I also because find- that affects things like budget, and it affects yes. things like luxury taxes. You've got to look at that stuff and say, so what? I also find it you know interesting the possibility of a group. Headed up or very you know, made up of former players. I was thinking that too. How I come mean, we haven't really heard that though? Shaquille O'Neal's a billionaire. No, Barkley. LeBron, LeBron James is part owner of a couple franchises already. Mm-hmm. He would have to divest himself if that were the case. Larry Fitzgerald, Charles Barkley. Yeah, I mean, Shaq was a minority owner of the Sacramento Kings for a while before he he got out. Wow. Also, why while he played, he owned that team. <laughs> Hey. Oh, update okay. the Wikipedia page. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> uh, coming up next, we'll take a look at the uh, Cardinals quarterback, Kyler Murray, as he gets ready for a stiff test Sunday from the Los Angeles Rams. It's Bickley and Murata mornings, 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. Dan Bickley, Vince Murata. Bickley and Murata mornings, 98.7 FM, Arizona's Sports Station. Yeah, I mean, for sure. I think confidence, you know, confidence is a thing, for sure. Um, I think uh, the end of the game can definitely, you know, give team confidence, uh, which is probably needed at this point. Uh, Going off of how the game started, how we started off uh, week one, um, going to, you know, this game, obviously a great team. Um, You know, last year's last year. Uh, None of that matters. So, um, but for sure, I think week to week, you can definitely, you know what I'm saying, get better and get better and get better. And I think we're, I think we're, you know, headed in that direction. Yeah, it's Kyler Murray, quarterback of the Arizona Cardinals yesterday on whether or not he feels uh, the win over the Raiders can give them positive momentum moving forward. Certainly not going to help things. It depends on whether or not you're a believer in week to week momentum. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, if you're a good team, you're going to have that momentum. I, I think the jury's still out on what the Arizona Cardinals exactly are in 2022. Oh, uh, no doubt. And, um, you know, there's certainly more in terms of the viewables uh, that what we've seen that they're not all that great a team. But uh, when you can steal a game like they did on Sunday, you take it, you move on and, and hope to improve. Cliff Kingsbury said last week the best the, the biggest jump you see from week one uh, in a team is from week one to week two. I hope that's not the case. I, I'm fascinated by Kyler Murray and and really everything about him. I, I think after six quarters, um, he was on the precipice of of a lot of criticism. Had that game not turned, a lot of people would be wondering what did the Cardinals do? Why did they pay him that money? Are they are you kidding me? You're chained to that kid for the next X amount of years and two hundred thirty million dollars because that stuff was floating around at halftime, mm-hmm. and he flipped that growing narrative on its head so jarringly and so dramatically that people probably who had those feelings felt sheepish about it at the end of the game because by the end of the game if if you were if you were spouting that stuff at halftime you probably felt guilty celebrating the uh, the insane levels of athleticism he displayed at the end of that game mm-hmm. so now going into this game it's going to be okay where where wh- what's next Kyler <laughs> where, do, where do you go from here because I think 
Most smart football people, Mark Schlereth was one of them yesterday. You know you can't sustain that kind of crazy stuff week after week after week doesn't happen and and so there's got to be there's got to be something that backs that up there's got to be a structure and an offense and a system and 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 all that stuff this is going to be fascinating to see which where this where this football team takes what they created for themselves in the second half in vegas Mm -hmm. we talked about it um at the end of last year we've talked about it through two weeks uh, somewhat amazing that the Cardinals were able to come back from a deficit like that without the um, without the benefit of a quick strike or a long explosive play in the passing game. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you saw Tyler Drake's tweet yesterday. He covers the Cardinals for us at ArizonaSports.com. Kyler Murray averaged 3.6 air yards per completion in Sunday's win over the Raiders, according to Next Gen Stats. That's the lowest among all NFL quarterbacks in Week 1. Wow. 3.6 air yards Per completion. Now, that obviously I know. eliminates what happens run after catch, but that's something that we've identified that needs to change, and it's the third year we're talking about. Third it. straight year we're talking about this. And it's not something that, it's not impossible to achieve that without DeAndre Hopkins, is what I'm saying. DeAndre Hopkins being out for six weeks, it affects your offense, mm-hmm. but it's not insurmountable. We saw that uh, even though it, it, they did lack the, the vertical passing game. Yeah. Well, listen, I, I do think they still have enough weapons where they should be able to create that kind of stuff. I think you can be able to scheme some of that stuff. I think we need to see a lot more of that uh, from this offense. It, so I don't know who tweeted this out, but it was a very, very good tweet. Cardinals need to prove that what happened in Vegas did, doesn't stay in Vegas. Oh, that is good. That's a good Good line, right? Yeah. Jarrett wishes he thought of that. Oh, it's some infuriated now. <laughs> uh, Kyler Murray also talked about, um, you know, having his back against the wall in game situations helps his focus. I mean, we don't like being in that situation. Obviously, it's it's nice to see us be able to get out of the situation. But, uh, you know, nine times out of ten, if you're probably if you're in that situation, probably, you know, the, the outcome um, may be a little different. Um, but... I think guys just maybe at, at you know it's at halftime we just we weren't executing you know like I told y'all it wasn't it's never about the focus or um, or the the, the uh, you know the energy um, everybody's flying around playing hard you know we always play hard but it's about executing at the end of the day and uh, we weren't doing that so to come out in the second half. But I don't think they scored a touchdown in the second half. It was, it was huge for the defense, and then you know for us to be able to uh, you know get the get the ball back and then uh, execute and, and go and put the ball in the end zone every time was uh, was huge. Obviously, we had the the, the one fourth uh, fourth down we didn't convert, but um, again, like, like I said, it was, it was a huge turnaround. Yeah, going back to what you said and what Mark Schlaer said in our discussion yesterday, you go back and watch that game. The momentum that the Raiders should have had up. 23-7 early in the fourth quarter. Yep. They stopped the Cardinals on a fourth down. Yes, yep. they take over deep in their own territory. That should have been ball game. Oh, it should no have doubt. been the ball game. No they doubt. come out on that next possession and throw three passes and give the ball right and, back and to just, the Cardinals. It was just real lazy stuff, too. Yeah. It was just really... Yeah, the Raiders are taking a lot of heat. Josh McDaniels taking a lot of heat. And he's, Derek Carr taking a lot of heat. I, I, I think that what we've seen in week two um, has kind of left a mark on a few different quarterbacks. Kirk Cousins, Ryan Tannehill, Derek Carr. These guys all really kind of shriveled a little bit last week. I, I, I thought Derek Carr was better than that, to be honest with you. 
He's one of those quarterbacks. He's one of, yep. great one yep. week and, yep. the, and the next. But we talked about leading up to that game, too, Bick, about on the offensive side of the ball and the defensive side of the ball, the Raiders have game wreckers, and none of those guys wrecked the game. No. They they didn't allow any of their weapons to really, really take hold. I mean, yeah. Hunter Renfro wrecked the game, but he wrecked it for the Raiders. I still keep thinking about that three-play sequence. Fumble, dropped interception, fumble. fumble. It was like they were throwing the game. Yeah. I mean, it, it was right? unbelievable yeah. how much like the pressure and, and got to them in that moment. Yeah, yeah. And, and the feeling as a Cardinal fan watching that was... Oh, man, they fumbled and the Cardinals couldn't recover. Oh, well, great effort. The next play is like, oh, man, Jalen Thompson almost had the interception. It's just not meant to be today. Yeah, it's and, and so I, I, really do, I really do think that a lot of the stuff that happened to the Raiders was a, was a football team that really kind of lost their edge at halftime because they just didn't have any fear for the Cardinals. And, and so at what they're dealing with now, there's people ripping into Chandler Jones – uh, for for costing so much money and and providing so little, people ripping into Derek Carr, people ripping into the head coach. It, uh, this is what's interesting to me because I think we look at Kyler Murray and the Cardinals' offense and we say, "Come on, you, you, you gotta you gotta do more." You look at the Cardinals' defense and you don't really know how to evaluate what happened on Sunday. Like I said, Zach Allen happy with what he did. Byron Murphy Jr. ecstatic at what he did. Uh, Zayvon Collins, the amount of snaps that he played, uh-huh. that's really a good sign. Jalen Thompson played a good game, but but how much of that really is real, and how much of that was against a football team that just completely tapped out? Because that does happen, and and once you do that in the NFL, you can't get that back. So no. so this this game against the Rams is gonna be it's gonna be it's gonna be a tell yes. on a lot of different levels. Week three of Bix picks is underway. Text pick to six twenty six twenty to sign up and compete against Dan Bickley for your chance at the grand prize, a seventy five inch TV courtesy of Corona Extra. If you're a weekly winner, you'll get an NFL jersey of your choice and a $50 gift card to Cold Beers and Cheeseburgers. How do you get entered? Just text the word PICK, P-I-C-K, to 620-620. Coming up next, the big stories of the day in Rush Hour Reboot Forum with Sarah Cazell. It's Bickley and Murata Mornings live from the Ak Chin Community Studios here on 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. 98.7 FM, Arizona's Sports Station. Rush Hour Reboot. Rush Hour Reboot. Getting you up to speed on everything happening in sports this morning. Brought to you by Brooklyn Betting. Arizona built for America's dreams. Very, very, very happy Thursday to all of you listening here on Bickley and Murata Mornings on 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. We are bringing the energy this morning, I feel it, guys, for the Rush Hour Reboot when we take you through the top stories of the day. I am Sarah Cazell with Dan Bickley. Hey. Vince Murata. Say hello. Oh. And Derek Carlin. Fiduciary. <laughs> <laughs> that reminds me when we were supposed to yeah, do I know. Ask Me That's Anything. That's what made me think of it. Yesterday, somebody asked us to go around the horn and give our best Ron Wolfley fiduciary uh, impression. <laughs> so, unfortunately, Robert Sarver News got yes, in the way of that. Week. Absolutely. Next week. There we'll were people that. that were upset that we interrupted after. I know. Well, for, for yeah. Sometimes life gets in the way. Sorry about but, that. Uh, as a tease for next week. Fiduciary. 
Irish. All right, he's got a week to rehearse. All right, let's get into our top stories of the day here on the Rush Hour Reboot. And, of course, the big news here in the Valley. The news that interrupted Ask Me Anything is that Robert Sarver is on his way out. Yesterday, around 9.30, he put out a statement that says he has started the process of selling his share of both the Phoenix Suns and the Phoenix Mercury. And Sarver's statement in there, he says he believes in atonement and the path to forgiveness, but our, quote, unforgiving climate has made it clear he will not be able to make amends and remove his personal controversy from the Suns and the Mercury. There was a lot of reaction on the uh, internet. Jamal Crawford tweeted, had to happen. LeBron James tweeted, I'm so proud to be part of a league committed to progress. And Diamond to Shields, part of the Mercury. She tweeted, well, that's a start. Here is Ramona Shelburne, who covers the NBA for ESPN, reacting to the news on NBA Today yesterday. There was a lot of surprise that he did relent, but there was public pressure, which we've talked about. LeBron James tweeting, Chris Paul tweeting, Draymond Green on his podcast. There's also a lot of private pressure on Robert Sarver behind the scenes. We heard PayPal, but there were a lot of other league sponsors and team sponsors that were lining up to to pull away from the Suns and not be publicly associated with them. There was also the pressure applied by other owners and Adam Silver behind the scenes. Mm. Adam Silver is obviously a, a, a very uh, good applying pressure when it needed to be and facilitating these types of conversations and discussions to, to get to this place. Very spooky music coming in at the end there. Ooh, a little bit. So she mentions behind-the-scenes pressure from Adam Silver. And that made me think of something you alluded to yesterday, Dan, which was when Adam Silver had his, pre- had his press conference last week, a lot of us were not happy with how he handled it and surprised to hear him admit that there could have been a longer suspension, but he chose one year. So now looking back on that... Was Adam Silver a little bit of a puppet master here, knowing that there would be public outrage for just a one-year suspension? Interesting. Yeah, yeah, maybe that was all orchestrated. It, yeah, listen, and, and and I do think that that the pressure that was being applied internally was, listen, the Board of Governors had decided at that point in time that, that they were not going to call a vote to vote you out. Mm-hmm. Then Draymond Green makes a public uh, appeal, go vote. We want to see who's behind us and who's not. Yeah. If there were national sponsors of the NBA now lining up, and and I'm sure this is whether this is coordinated or not, you could present that information to Robert Sarver and say, "Listen, man, you're costing us money. You're costing yourself money. It's going to co- if you do if you are forced to sell, it's going to be worth less if we go through this voting you out process. And, and now that we're beginning to lose sponsorship dollars, there might be a growing um, a growing need or a growing call to to do this actual vote. There could have been a lot of that." Stuff. Mm-hmm. There, there could have been an economic factor, an ec- economic side to this. Adam Silver did not handle that press conference well, but Adam Silver is also a very smart guy. So maybe he thought this was the way to do it. Uh, he, he made it very clear in that press conference, I do not have the right to take away his team. It's up yeah. to the owners. But now, and you look back at what he released yesterday, basically a one-line statement. It basically should have said, shut up and get off my back now. <laughs> right. Because the NBA accomplished what it wanted to accomplish all along, and that yeah. is the removal of Robert Sarver. Mm-hmm. They didn't get into a messy legal battle, nope. and they didn't have to expose their other ownership members to any any critiques of their own. I and mean, they further empowered their players. Yes, who, who, who now rightfully believe they affected this change. Yes. Mm-hmm. And that one-line statement you referred to, Vince, 
Suns. It is, quote, I fully support the decision by Robert Sarver to sell the Phoenix Suns and Mercury. This is the right next step for the organization and community, period. Like two-thirds of a page just left blank. Yeah. <laughs> Fill in the blanks yourself. All right, let's uh, go elsewhere in the NBA. New reports this morning in the last hour or so from the Athletics' Shams Charania and ESPN's Adrian Wojnarowski indicating that Boyan Bogdanovich is going to the Pistons. Both reporters say Bogdanovich is going to Detroit. Kelly Olynyk and Saban Lee will go back to the Utah Jazz. So uh, three weeks ago on September 1st, Gambo here at 98.7 FM reported that the Suns had reached out to the Jazz with interest in trading for Bogdanovich, who's going into a contract year. So uh, assuming that this all becomes final and official, are you guys disappointed that Boyan to the Suns did not work out? My good feeling, and I think Vinny shares the same thing, that, listen, we all, Boyan Bogdanovich is a skill set the Suns need. And if if the Pistons were able to acquire him for th- those assets, I- I'm a little disappointed the Suns <laughs> couldn't get it done. Kelly Olenek, yeah. yeah. Well, the Jazz are in tank, tank, tank mode. Well. I don't care. But they didn't get any draft picks in that deal no. either, which is strange. Um, Danny Ainge loves him some Kelly Olenek. Indeed. I just clearly this indicates, I agree with Bick, the Suns could have beat that offer and brought in a shooter. But to me, it might indicate that something else is in the works for the Maybe. Suns. Brian Windhorst, who's going to join us in a second, talked about, hey, <laughs> this this team, from everything he's been able to gather, is operating like a team that still wants to add before this season. So mm-hmm. I agree with that. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. It, yeah. What's going on? Yeah. <laughs> why would they do now, that? Why would they that do that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's quickly squeeze in some ASU football. Last night, Sean Aguano made his first appearance on ASU football's weekly show, which you can hear on ESPN 620 AM every week. Uh, his first appearance, at least, as the interim head coach. Join us tomorrow. Is it still hey. Is it still called All Aboard, by That's the way? That's what it says in our calendar. Not All Aboard. Choo-choo. <laughs> Some Aboard. The remaining. Some Aboard. <laughs> Uh, and on the show last night, he said there is a renewed energy around ASU football. You know, I get up in the morning about 4.30 every morning um, just gleaming. Um, getting, I go into for a workout. I'm, I'm still pumped up. I go to bed at, ele- at 11 at night. So with, the notepad, five, with the notepad, with a notepad right there. Right? Trying, trying to make sure that my mind doesn't race all night. But uh, when we talk about that renewed energy uh, and, and you feel it, um, I feel it. I feel it. I get it from uh, my kids at home. Uh, I get it from kids when we go to practice, but uh, we're excited. We're excited. One giant step for man. <laughs> that was really yeah. cool. Sounded like he was, yeah. Small Conduct that on AM radio yeah. in 1946. Right. Yeah, yeah. Number one in innovation. Uh, so, <laughs> if you couldn't understand, he referred to a notebook that he keeps by his bed. So, whenever he wakes up with ideas or is going to bed, an idea pops into his brain. He just writes it down in a notepad. Specific to ASU football, ways to improve the program or, or just ideas for the team. So, guys, you're looking at his is ASU football notebook. What should be the top one or two items in that notepad with the highlighters and the bold and the underlined? How does he get ASU back on track? Either this season or big picture. I I want it to happen for him. He's so excited for this opportunity. 
I don't know if it's a feasible situation. Um, he talked about being excited about playing these three opponents in a row, starting with Utah, really good football team that's disciplined and physical and got a great defense. Got great I'm, character. I'm pulling for him, but I, I, I don't think I can't answer that question, Sarah. I, I don't know if it's possible for Sean Aguano to make that much headway in nine football games. Uh, that's that's a good point. I think if you are him, you can only control what you can control. And that, so a step number one would be to create a great energy in your program. Okay. Okay, something that pops and, and something that people notice. And I think he's already starting to do that compared Absolutely. to what was there prior. Yeah. Uh, then I think, obviously, the, the recruiting element, the, the, the lifting your own profile so you can go and sell the program. And then what would number three be, Vinny? Instilling some sort of urgency for the guys that are there. This I just year can't get can the Deion Sanders to... rumor out of my head. Woo! Deion Sanders Day ASU. I want. I, I am so behind that. Maybe we'll get into that later. Thank you, Sarah. All right. We're all Thanks, rebooted. Sarah. Coming up next, we'll talk uh, Suns ownership and NBA. Brian Windhorst from ESPN joins us next. It's Bickley and Murata mornings, ninety-eight seven FM, Arizona Sports Station. Ninety-eight seven FM, Arizona's Sports Station. Dan Bickley and Vince Murata. Bickley and Murata mornings. Yeah, it is the Thursday edition of Bickley and Murata Mornings here on 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. A lot of, of buzz still about the news that broke yesterday. Robert Sarver starting plans to sell the Phoenix Suns and Mercury. Here to talk about all of that with us from ESPN, NBA insider Brian Windhorst, our guest on the Arizona Sports Line. Brian, good morning. Good morning. Um, we, we've obviously talked a lot about this, the possibility of this happening. Uh, I guess we'll start with uh, some people are around the league are surprised that this happened so quickly into the one-year suspension uh, of Robert Sarver. Do you think that the timing of this, Brian, indicates that there was another wave of a, of a storm coming to, to the NBA and, and Robert Sarver that kind of made him see the light and, and make this decision? I don't know the answer to that. I do know that next Sunday and Monday, when the media days happened, um, he was going to take on a lot of uh, extra heat from the players mm-hmm. once the players were speaking. Um, and so, I, you know, I also don't know where the sponsors were. I know obviously PayPal made the statement. I don't know if there were other sponsors or other financial pressures that we don't know about. In the, in the case of Donald Sterling, um, there was financial pressure that immediately bore down on the league and the Clippers that led that helped contribute to that quick decision. Um, so, you know, I, I only maybe Robert Sarver knows, but um, I, I really found the whole situation unpredictable. And I think two things that happened in the previous few days. Uh, one was the players' union executive director very aggressively calling for him to be banned for life um, in the midst of collective bargaining. Uh, excuse me, agreement um, discussions, which, um, you know, just underscores how important it was to the union to, to make that statement. The second thing was Draymond Green, I think, very strategically calling for an owner vote, um, which would have forced the uh, owners to take sides on removing Robert Sarver. I found it unlikely that such a vote would ever take place. However, if other players... Um, you know, built off of that, 
and 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 began pressuring all owners to have to answer via a vote. Um, that could have also. I, I think that was a, a new era, a new level of a, you know in the discord. And I, mm-hmm. I I I don't know for sure, but I think that that was something that nobody in the in the ownership circles wanted to see continue to be discussed. Brian, understandably, in Phoenix, this is a, a cause for celebration, and anybody who went through that decade of dysfunction. Um, I think it's rightfully so to feel those uh, emotions. But you you call my attention by saying you felt a little sad by all of this because this has become a recurring issue in the league. I'm curious if you could expand on that. Well, for the third time in eight years, we've had an owner sell um, because um, of racist comments or racist um, uh, acts were discovered. And um, I know that in the case of Sarver, it was more than just that. Um, But this is a league that, um, you know, I'm a part of. I'm not a player, but I'm a part of the league. And um, it's 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 unfortunate uh, i think adam silver said that he had hoped that the league was past this and clearly the league isn't and that is you know sobering and you know i think amongst players and people who really wanted robert sarver uh to be gone from the league yesterday was a great day and i do think the nba became uh potentially a better place yesterday with this decision but i but i can't help but be a little bit uh melancholy that this has happened yet again um in less than a decade in an era where is supposed to be such a progressive place especially amongst all professional sports brian windhorst from espn our guest here on bickley and Murata mornings uh your colleague uh, ramona shelburne on espn yesterday threw out some some names and some very very heavy hitting names in the business world that could be potential owners are those legit names or is there anything off the radar that you've been able to glean so far as possibilities uh for for robert sarver to sell to yeah, I would keep an eye on uh, the family of the late uh, Sheldon Adelson. Um, uh, his uh, wife, Miriam, he uh, obviously is worth a was He passed away, I believe, last year. Um, I believe his estate was over $25 billion, uh, mostly known for owning the Venetian um, in Las Vegas. Um, his family and his heirs, uh, I believe were parts of bids for the L.A. Clippers when Steve Ballmer bought it and were involved in the Raiders, maybe not necessarily to buy the Raiders, but were involved in potentially owning that stadium and maybe being a partial owner of the Raiders. They have sniffed around the NBA in the past, and if you're based in Las Vegas um, and you can't buy a team in L.A., the second best place to buy a team would be Phoenix. So um, I would put them on the list um, uh, of, 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 of uh, you know, people to watch. Uh, they certainly have the money, and uh, it fits uh, into their geographic. I think, in general, this is going to be you know a very uh, hot property. Um, uh, a lot of owners, you know, they live on the coasts, and you know they want to be able to get to their teams pretty closely. I remember talking to Joe Lacob uh, when he talked about 
uh, you know, he had, he, when he bought the Warriors, he had kicked the tires on three or four NBA teams. And I think a baseball team, he tried to buy the A's and he really wanted to be within an hour or an hour and a half flight of his, uh, of his home. And so when you bring in the Los Angeles money, um, the, you know, there's going to be a bunch of bidders. I know that the, that the Suns have been valued by Forbes and Sportico at like 1.8, 1.9. I don't, I think it's going to blow that out of the water. I think it'll be well over $2 billion. I think you'll have multiple bidders. And the one thing that Robert Sarver still has control of is who he sells to. He gets to decide uh, who can buy this team. And relationships matter. Um, There have been times in the last decade where the highest bidder did not get a team because the uh, the selling party preferred a different, uh, uh, you know, a different buyer. And so that's one thing that Robert Sarver still has control of. Now, uh, any buyer would have to be approved by the NBA, other NBA owners, but uh, Robert Sarver can choose. And that's an interesting factor here. It is interesting. One of the one of the good things about the Suns for most of last year is while this investigation was going on, the basketball culture was remarkably good until it all fell apart at the end. Since then, they've added little bit pieces like Frank Jackson and Damian Lee, who I happen to like, Dwayne Washington. They're floating Jay Crowder out in the trade market. This is a basketball team that that needs help. Doesn't need to to, to diminish themselves. What do you what do you think they're angling for? Do you think they're lining up for a big play here? Do you think they're still holding a space for Kevin Durant come January? What 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 do you think about the state of the basketball product in Phoenix? Well, it's great. I mean, I. I I mean I can't I couldn't say for sure that I thought the Suns would win the title uh, win the title last year, but I really liked their chances. I thought they were a very well constructed, well focused uh, veteran team, and I was of course stunned at the way the season ended. And they are still that team. Um, and when when this storm passes here, it will focus on basketball, and I think it will uh, be a great season for the Suns. You know, I the only thing I can compare this to. Is the the Atlanta Hawks in 2014-15? Unfortunately, one of the one of the the situations I referenced uh, earlier with the owners having to sell was that situation. Bruce Levinson announced uh, before the season he was going to sell the team. Uh, The team was for sale throughout the whole year, and Bruce Levinson was not involved. And that team won over 60 games. They had they had an excellent team. They had excellent coaching. They put it all together and had a great year. It it didn't affect them, and I don't expect this situation to affect affect the Suns. And I also think that they will proceed with business. I think they will you know, try to get Cam Johnson into a contract extension. I think they will be interested in the trade market. I don't think that they are in any sort of dire need right now, um, but uh, they have all of their first-round picks going forward. I mean, go look at all these teams in the league, there's not that many teams that can say that. They have um, they have ammunition in a deal. But I will also tell you that I've James Jones has a track record now. And his track record is that he is uh, deliberate when making transactions. Yeah. He he's going to negotiate a certain way, and you know, uh, you know, I, I'm sh- I know that they had discussions with the Jazz about Bogdanovich, and I also know that they were reluctant to offer a first round pick in such a, a deal. And you know, Bogdanovich got traded today, and it wasn't for a first round pick. So, um, you know, I think that you know they have enough talent where they can be judicious, and that's the way James Jones operates. Brian, as always, thanks so much for uh, coming on the show. We really appreciate the insight. 
Have a good day. Thanks, you too, Brian Windhorst, NBA insider from ESPN. He joined us on the Arizona Sports Line. Coming up next, you know what's next, the Bickley Blast. Bickley Murata Mornings, 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station.